this episode, I met up with Leora Milgartner, the California chapter of the organization Interfaith Power and Light, an organization tackling climate change through a unique faith-based approach, advocating for climate policy at the state and national level, and working with all types of congregations to promote clean energy and environmentally conscious behavior. Climate Vibes, a podcast created by the Climate Music Project. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Leo, for joining me today. Um, first off, can you introduce yourself, who you are, and what the organization is? My name is Leora Milgram Gartner, and I'm with California Interfaith Power and Light. We are an organization that's been working now for 20 years to work with people of faith and conscience in the communities to, um, to take action around the climate crisis. Awesome. And what drew you to this organization, Interfaith Power and Light? Yeah, the, um, right, I'm not going to go into the science. We understand that um, the climate is changing. Humans are causing it. The scientists are really clear. And we're starting to see the impacts of the last hundred years of human behavior in the um, weather extremes in uh, where I live in California and right the the climate has changed the fire season the droughts the the cycles are um, have been shouting at us that we are in an environment in crisis and we all need to act um, and so um, California Interfaith Power and Light takes a really particular angle at how to inspire that action. Um, and, and at the core of it, it is that people of faith and conscience have a, a moral calling and some clarity about responsibility beyond our own lives. We have responsibility to our neighbors. We can be our little, literal neighbor next door or our neighbors from across the planet into future generations. And this is a thread that's at the core of, of all major faiths. And by utilizing that common language, it's an entryway to engage on the climate crisis. And um, it just is a way to connect and inspire and, and people. And we need, all, we need all people engaged on this to change their own behaviors and to advocate for change in, in government as well. I haven't heard of many organizations kind of addressing climate change through this angle. So you really are reaching a wider audience that most climate organizations aren't reaching out to. Yeah. And I think that's beginning to change a little bit. Um, I think the 350.org and maybe even Sierra Club are starting to um, connect right, with uh, faith communities because the... Um, for two, there really, are two really big reasons. Like one is most people in America actually identify as a person of faith. Um, and the other is in a very tangible way, houses of worship um, are major landholders across America. And so when you think about, right, so there's individuals who can change their own behavior and, not, and advocate for such from, from the government. But even if we, as we support congregations in going green and installing solar and reducing their emissions, the um, measurable greenhouse gas reductions is tremendous. 
what are some of ILP's priorities in terms of climate advocacy? So um, California Interfaith Power and Light is a um, is one of 40 plus state affiliates across the country um, and with a national organization as well. California and the, you know, the legislators that represent us um, in Washington, D.C. are um, understand kind of the general call for climate action. And so we as an organization and our communities really focus on state and local advocacy. Um, we believe that that's where progressive policies are getting made and um, really are doubling down on this idea. Like, so goes San Francisco or San Jose or even Menlo Park um, or LA. So goes the state of California. So goes the country. And so we are you're doing some um, really wonky advocacy around showing up to city hall meetings on REACH codes. On REACH codes? REACH codes. Oh, don't ask me what it stands for, but it's R-E-A. It is R-E-A-C-H. Um, but the gist of it, it, um, it the, the gas bans that are happening, it changes the planning codes so that things can switch to all electricity. Um, and that happens on the, you know, the city by city level. And so you need people showing up and advocating for it. And that is slowly happening across the state of California. And now at the California Energy Commission, there are similar conversations happening. And so we get to show up on the state level as well. Um, so that's kind of like some of the really wonky stuff. And then there's also policies that are coming up um, you know, by legislators in the more traditional sense when people think about advocacy. And the big ones that are coming up right now are the are about ban, a ban on fracking in the state of California, and um, and a, like trying yet again to create a safety and a, a health and safety setback from gas and oil and extraction. Um, this failed over the last two years. We're going to try again, um, but the gist of it is in the state of California, if a um, a private home wants to or you know private property wants to sell their land to a oil or gas company, um, they can, they can go in, they, then there can be an oil well next door to a school, next to a church, next to a, a hospital. And we don't have, there's no threshold to say that that's not okay. Um, and so that's something that we are, that there are multiple channels in California to engage on that. Um, but that is from human health, from environmental justice, from climate pollution, like we're dying, like that's, we're not, like, that's not acceptable in California. Yeah, it's not. Do you work with other organizations to advocate for certain policies or removal of bad policies? Yeah, I think for effective advocacy, you know, partnership is tremendous because just one voice isn't enough. And, and so we kind of, we have two groups of, of partners. We have kind of the Enviro groups, the environmental justice groups, um, and then we have faith-based um, groups and whether like you know, advocacy arms or even like whole denominations, um, and we get to play in both. Why do you think engaging religious-based congregations is so valuable in addressing these issues, specifically these climate issues? In a powerful way and this was um this was a shared we just had our 20th celebration and senator fran pavley who was the state senator who wrote the kind of landmark climate legislation for california um talked about a a moment where cipl 
impact really shown or shine shine show anyway <laughs> um and it was this this landmark legislation to to address the climate crisis needed one vote and um before it went to the floor and bef right before the vote the i think it was a pastor anyway called up the legislator and from a a moral standpoint right so it's not a like not it's not a dollar amount it's not a um like from a moral clarity spoke to this legislator about what they need to do um and they ended up right ended up passing long story short um and so having people of faith come in and just sometimes it just like pulls you out of, of the standard language um and so I think really like offers some people clarity on why we're even having this conversation. And interfaith power and light is multi-denominational. Yeah, multi-denominational, multi-faith. Um, we work with communities of, of faith of all religions. And do you think that is that it's also important that you're not focused on one religion or one type of faith? I think so because it's the we believe in having the diversity of California um, under under our umbrella, and there are there are faith based you know advocacy or kind of organizations that do engage on on policy, um, and again we support them. That's really important too. But having the the collective, um, I think, really has value. And it's um it's like building a community and community engagement. Do you find that the commitment to action by your congregations tends to spill out into surrounding communities, ones that may not be directly involved in the work you're doing? Yeah, and I think like an interesting way to just you know, talk about that is um, we, we, one of the hands-on things we do is support congregations installing solar. And some of that is like we got, we've been involved in that when it was like, you know, early symbols of climate action, um, even before it was financially wise, but it was just a commitment uh, to address the climate crisis. And, um, and as more congregations did this, kind of the more resources we had, the more tools we had, the more visible it became. And then you kind of had both, like, of course, like their own congregants, but also neighboring congregations kind of seeing it understand that it's available to them these days learn that they actually can save quite a bit of money and then they join along um, it's important to have you know early on those communities that are um you know are, are the first to kind of like take bold action and lead the way to to create space for it just to be normal and so now address green teams and um, or like having faith-based environmental action, at least in California, like isn't, is no longer rare. Um, and so it is absolutely spreading. And then you still have those who are, who are going above and beyond, which is great. It's like, let, you know, let them go above and beyond and then others will slowly catch up and it'll just, just brings everyone into, in a space of climate action. Thank you.
Do you have a specific moment that was particularly inspiring working with Interfaith Power and Light? Yeah, I think um, it was just recent on, let's say Wednesday, on Monday, we on the, on the winter solstice, we had a virtual dedication of solar panels. And what, what it, we came to realize was over the last, it's in shelter in place, we had member congregations that were doing the incredible work of installing solar. And they were installing solar on houses of worship that were empty. And I just found this to be, and I think I maybe share this with you, like an incredible optimism and commitment to the future, right? That we have these congregations that are laying, like, you know, that are figuring out like the, you know, passing it through the board, getting the bids, doing the reviews, all while nobody is there and installing solar to collect energy that isn't being currently used with a commitment that like one day people will be in our buildings again, that will happen. And even in this crazy time of COVID, while we're sheltering in place, what we do today, the actions that we take matter for the future. And, and so normally right, we would, you know, all these congregations would have ribbon cuttings and, you know, after services, everybody would go out and, you know, like their blessings and, you know, like we have crazy scenes of, of what our congregations have done, but none of that was happening. Like these solar arrays were going on. They were happening quietly. They were being turned on, generating wonderful clean electricity, but nobody knew. And um, funny enough, and this is like, this is kind of the fun part of my job. Um, I was talking with Pastor Current in South San Francisco and like, talking about like wanting to do something. And I think like in November, I said like, well, we probably now need to wait for the new year because December's coming and that's a bad time for programming. And he said to me, he was like, not this year. <laughs> this year there isn't programming. There's like not, there aren't holiday parties. And so we went ahead and it's like kind of almost counterintuitive, but on the, on the winter solstice, when the day, there's literally the shortest amount of light in California, we had five different congregations, a Zen center, three different denominations of churches and a synagogue, ceremoniously um, dedicate these solar arrays that they've installed over the last few months. Um, and so that alone was amazing, but part of it was, each congregation spoke for a few minutes and the and each one talked about why doing this is important to their community the thread was the same the the outcome was the same but the uniqueness of each faith tradition was so strong um, and anyway it was it was really great um, and it is, like, it, it's a great way to launch me into the next year of just doing, of doing more of this. Yeah, that sounds really amazing and very, very hopeful in this really hard time right now. I have one last question, and I was wondering, what do you think is the most important or influential thing a person can do to help the climate effort? So anyone listening may be thinking, oh... I want to do something, but I don't know what. Sounds awesome. I don't have one, just one idea. Um, and in a little bit is not the same kind of action that's going to work for everybody. Um, so if you're a listener 
and you're and you're ready to change your own behavior amazing go for it there are organizations like drawdown where um, like the list is really clear so it's like right get rid of your car drive less eat less meat um and you know buy if you're in california upgrade to green electricity it'll cost you a couple bucks a month you won't even notice and and you won't even notice like the change in your electricity flow but you'll be buying clean energy it's amazing um and then and then there's the advocacy part of it which is engage with your elected officials let them know what you're doing let them know that you're watching them um, if you have specific policies to talk about absolutely let them know I think it's even okay just to send a note to your legislator, um, you know, like just get get cozy with this idea of sending an email and say, hi, my name's Lior, I'm your constituent. I, I am concerned about the climate crisis. I am doing what I can by changing my own behavior, but I need our city, I need our state to be taking bold action. Um, please be a leader. Um, and even that um, is a great thing to do. Thank you to Leora for the wonderful and insightful conversation, as well as to Poddington Bear for the music Tender and Curious. My name is Kaya Sakamoto, and you've been listening to Climate Vibes, a podcast created by the Climate Music Project, an organization that works to communicate a sense of urgency about the climate crisis by combining climate science with the emotional power of music to drive meaningful action. To learn more about us, check us out at climatemusic.org.